Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Hello and welcome back to Core Truth. Mark Follett here with Rudy Eckhart. Today we're going to follow on from the discussion we had recently about belief systems, creating your reality through being a tool, through being a lens. We want to talk about the difference between predeterminism uh, in that your experiences are predetermined for you or that your experiences are thrust upon you in some way. Or that they're, sorry, Rudy, you want to say something? Yeah, that, that, that a lot of people think their experiences are karmic. So just somehow there's oh, yes. a book at that that's pre-written and it's your karma. It's your karma to experience certain so things. All these things often, usually we refer to bad things, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that there's some sort of predeterminism. So we wanted to um, pit that against belief systems and, and throw that around and see who wins that battle and then also um, talk about the, mm. the purpose and the way that choice and spontaneity falls into this discussion about karma, predeterminism and belief systems. So that's, that's going to be our topic of discussion today. And as you said, Rudy, there, um, there is, a, I guess, a common belief that there is a karma in that things happen to you and if, you're, if, you, if you choose consciously to be doing good things for other people, then you will get good things in return. It's like a ledger that gets balanced or something like that. I, I think that's completely opposite to what we discussed about belief systems. Well, it is. It, 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 um, because it, it um, absolves you from having to believe that you're the creator of your own reality. So it kind of absorbs you from responsibility for life. Mm. Yes, we've been talking about that, that you basically by <coughs> understanding belief systems are a tool um, that you use to focus your reality and then create your own reality, um, you can't then blame other people because you're the one that's holding on to that tool. You're the one that's using that tool, that's yeah. wielding it. Mm. That's right. So when you talk about predeterminism, karma, um, a book if you like, that is written for you at the beginning of your life and this is the life you will have, the lessons you have to learn, etc., etc., right? Um, it takes us far away from the idea that we are the creators of our own reality, our reality experiences. So where do we start with this in terms of um, do we talk about why the others, the other idea of not being totally responsible for your reality is not or cannot be right? Uh, or do we talk about whether we are the creators of our own reality? Well, I think we should recap on the mechanism whereby we create our own reality initially. So how that, how that actually works. Um, in, we talk about it in, in, in terms of life, in terms of being physical, in terms of being in this life. Right. how we actually do create our own experiences. 
Every belief that you hold that is a tool for your mind has an intent. So if you believe you're lovable, then you love yourself and you will expect and anticipate that others will love you as well. And nothing that will happen to you will actually, as an adult, will dissuade you from the idea that you're a lovable person. And so the intent in that belief that you're lovable is to be loved and to be loving in your own actions and choices. If you believe you're unlovable, then the intent in that belief is not to be loved because you don't love yourself, because you see everything wrong with yourself. You become self-critical, self-effacing, and you then expect that other people look at you in the way that you look at yourself. And therefore, you don't expect to get love from other people. And you will, by the intent created by your belief, create experiences in which you will feel that you're not being loved. Now, that to me is how you determine the outcome of your life or the outcome of your choices, if you like. Um, if you believe you're unlovable, to stick with that for a moment, then you will have a great need for someone who will love you in order for you to feel lovable. So you will then look for somebody who is overtly expressive, if you like, or overtly in his be overtly in behavior to show and prove to somebody else that they're being loved. Mm. And that, hang on, before, before we go any further, so now we, we involve another person in this, mm. right? Now, the other person also has a set of beliefs, and we need to understand that, right? Their belief is that they will only be loved if they can prove to the other person that they're being loved. You're talking about a relationship between two people now. A relationship between two people. Yeah. Each is creating their own reality yes. with each other, right? So one has got the behavior to show and prove that he is loving in order to be loved, and the other is in the belief that she's not lovable, it was just she, right, or a he, um, and is in the, in the need and expectation to get love from someone else in order to feel lovable and feel wanted and feel acceptable. So the outward manifestation of their behavior is to some extent opposite but fits perfectly with each other, but their fear is the same. Hmm. Their fear is that they're not lovable in the, in, the, in the first instance, but they have different ways of, uh, of dealing with that, of expressing that. Yeah. So, so our behavior is quite strategic, and I call it strategic behavior. Mm -hmm. our, our, the, the, the behavior of the person who doesn't feel lovable is strategic because she's, she's seeking to feel loved by somebody in order to feel loved mm. herself, but within herself. The, the word strategic... Uh, to some extent, uh, I know you don't mean it this way, but to some extent implies that there's a conscious choice, almost a conniving about making those decisions, but it doesn't work like that. Well, there's actually a subconscious choice it's and a certain conniving, if you like, <laughs> to achieve a certain goal. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that motivation, if you like, to, to employ a behavior to achieve a certain specific outcome is driven by fear. The fear of not being loved and not being lovable is a very unhappy feeling. It doesn't make you feel good. Mm. So to avoid feeling that way or to overcome that feeling, we try and get from the outside world 
what is missing within us, which is self-love. So fear creates a void that we then strategically... A painful void. Painful void. Not yeah. just a void, but a void of pain and a mm. void of, of absence of uh, feeling... Without love, you don't feel worthwhile, significant, special. The whole range of negativity comes up in your mind and you need that love in order to feel some level of fulfillment, to feel wanted, to feel you belong. Um, because you're not looking for it within yourself by resolving for this particular belief system within yourself, you are actually looking for it in the outside world. And your behavior becomes strategic because it is specifically directed towards resolving the problem that you feel emotionally. And so there's two people doing the same thing. Like if it was a him and a her, he's, he's trying to resolve his issue by being overtly loving, affectionate, attention-giving, and God knows what. And she cannot believe her, her senses that somebody actually loves her and wants her and wants to be with her and because it's exactly what she's been looking for. To fill that to fill that, that void that's in, yeah, that yeah. painful void that's inside of her. Mm. So so in that way, are these people determining their own experiences? Absolutely. Yes. Do they do it consciously? Absolutely not. Mm. Are they aware of it? Probably not. Probably not. Um, do they feel that they um, um, are free when they're doing this? I don't think they realize that they're not. Mm -hmm. I think their need to be loved uh, overrules everything. But of course, the unfortunate part of it is that it will never last for reasons to do with um, all the effort having to, having to come from one person to make this relationship be what it is, right? Which is that one party is the overtly loving, caring, attention giver, and the other one, the uh, needy receiver of all this, right, eventually runs out of balance because the giver wants to be a receiver as well. well but also um, for the person that's needy, when, when would enough fill that void? Well, enough will never be enough. There's no, no such thing. So there's no amount in the end that, that um, the loving partner, the overtly loving partner cannot give enough to actually fill the void that fear has created. Exactly. And but there's, in, in addition... They're not givers. They can't give love because they're so needy for it. Mm. Mm. And so they respond to loving behavior and attention getting. Yeah? Mm. So they get attention. They are acknowledged. They're validated. They're getting affection. And they respond to that. To the part who is giving this, who is giving this attention and love, this feels like as if he or she is being loved. And so in that regard... In the moment, in the initial part of the relationship, they both feel satisfied and they may even tell you that this is um, um, souls getting together, that it is a perfect relationship and she now finally found the man that she wants to be with and, without and realizing that it is driven by fear, the whole relationship. And, and if that relationship breaks down, then um, again, you know, is it a result of predeterminism or karma that you needed to have this experience to yeah. to learn something to actually move forward in your life yeah but do people learn i mean most of the time people blame one another for all the superficial reasons why the relationship doesn't work and they hold each other responsible for it 
he will say to her, for you it's never enough. And she will say to him, why did you abandon me? Because you stopped loving me. And he's saying, well, when was it my turn? <laughs> when were you going to give me love? Mm-hmm. I said, and she will say, well, that wasn't a rule, you know? Mm. So I think, you know, people. some people may have an inkling that they're somewhat responsible for that situation that they're in. I know that a lot of people don't. But let's take a situation where there's a relationship between two people that is completely different to that and probably more often when someone would say, oh, it was just my karma or something. But say your car got stolen. So it's your car, you've parked it on the street, you come out in the morning, it's been stolen, Mm -hmm. and you say, oh, well, I had to have this experience or that was my karma for doing something bad in a previous life or doing something bad when I was a kid or something. Or I used to steal cars when I was a kid and I've stopped doing it, but that's my karma because someone's now stolen my car. So a relationship that's... You've got a relationship with someone that stole your car in that situation. So it's not as close-knit as that loving sort of situation that you had there. So you've you've had an experience there. Okay, you've got a relationship with things, Mm -hmm. right? Things, whether it's a car or something else. could be your, your, your camera or your iPhone or something. It doesn't matter what gets stolen, but you have a relationship with things in general. What they mean to you, what their value is to you, how they make you feel, how you depend on them, how you rely on them, um, your responsibility for what you own, for what is a physical possession, right? All these elements can be tested. It being stolen can be one way. One of any of these beliefs that you have around that will be tested. So it's a very, when you're asking me this, it's very broad, more broad than what you would have indicated by a question. Right. I guess my question was around the fact that if people are people are generally, they probably apply this predeterminism or karmic um, thought when they don't see themselves as any part of the equation in an event that's happened in their life. So in an instance where someone stole your car, it would be easy enough to say, well, I wasn't involved in that. Someone else stole my car. How sure. was I? I'm an innocent I, victim. I was an innocent victim of in course. that scenario. It's, and that's the most obvious things that people do, and that's how the law treats it. Yes. Yeah, you're an innocent victim. So how did you create that reality where you wake up one morning and your car had been stolen for yourself? You know, how, how are you a part of that? I mean, obviously... Well, you must be a part of it you because, must be. because you're operating in a reality that is full of all types of consciousness which with which you have a relationship, mm. right? And even though you may not have a direct, direct relationship with the thief as such... Mm. You have a relationship with the item that was stolen and um, your experience of that, um, how it will affect you, pretty well tells you what the issues are within yourself. Mm. Like if you are the kind of person that um, doesn't take responsibility for the things that you own, so you leave the car door open, leave your iPhone in places where people can take it, um, or leave, leave your wallet. Leave your wallet, or keep losing, you know, yeah. or or expose all your wealth in a, to other people, almost inviting someone to say, you know what, I could take that. Um, that is one way you could look at it. Uh, the other way could be your attachment to it. Can't live without it. Oh, it's so important to me. If I don't have this, I don't have a life. You know, or it could be kind of the status attachment to your things because it's. You know, everybody knows that I got this iPhone. They know I'm hip and they know that I 
you know, I'm with it and I'm connected and, you know, all that sort of thing. So there can be a million and one beliefs that you have which are negative in relation to items, to things that can cause things to happen to you uh, by these things being removed. It could, you could even drop it. Yeah, that's do, true. Do, do, could do you just, understand? It could just be dropped in the toilet and, and or It's gone, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. or you lend it to a friend and you don't get it back, which then brings up a whole other combinations to do with trust and believe in your friends and dependence on your friends and the ability not to be able to say no when somebody asks you for something. You know, there's a, there's a whole number of <clears throat> issues that can arise from your relationship with things which all come down to you being tested. Not tested is such a bad word, but to you actually being the creator of that event and should be taking responsibility for it but often doesn't know what it is that you believe that made this event occur for you and therefore you don't know how to take responsibility. Yeah, it would be very hard to draw a parallel between your belief systems that you don't know that you possess necessarily. We've talked about them being a tool, but I think a lot of people see them as part of themselves and not objectively as a separate tool. So you're trying to say in that situation, well, I must have a belief that's created my my reality that I have created co-created this reality that I've now experienced as a result of my beliefs to then draw a parallel back to what that belief was and work on removing it. It's, it's a difficult situation. It's, it's difficult only because we haven't learned how to do that, mm. right? We, we generally grow up not being very conscious of ourselves. Mm. We're more conscious of the world we live in than the world within us, so to speak, right? Our inner self um, is uh, pretty well an unknown part for most people. Mm. Uh, so if you're not aware of yourself, how are you going to um, determine or find out or investigate how this is a part of you, how you were the creator of a particular event? And I can only give a few hints at this time. Yeah? The hints that I can give you is that how does it make you feel? Where does the feeling come from? Have you had that feeling before? What does it remind you of? Does it remind you to childhood situations or, or or experiences that you can relate this feeling back to? Because often your feeling is like a flag, like a flag that there is something wrong, that there's something wrong in a particular way. And it can help you to reach an understanding for the reasons of this happening to you. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's it's generally difficult because people don't have those tools that you mentioned to be able to work through their own issues, to be able to identify themselves, to be able to look at themselves objectively. It is then difficult for people to take responsibility for negative experiences in their life that they don't understand how they occurred. And that's where you could say, well, blame it on karma, blame it on predeterminism. That was an event that was destined to happen in my life. But the reality of of it is that there was 50 cars parked in the street and it was only yours that was stolen. So there's, there's a reason why it was that particular vehicle. You know, you could say, oh, it's unrelated to me because there was a, well, I had a car and it was in the street and it, it, they could have, they, they just picked it by random. But that's that's not the way that it works. No, not, nothing in the universe is by random. If randomness came truly into the universe, our whole universe would fall apart <laughs> because randomness doesn't work. Hmm. You know, there's always a level of predeterminism in everything and predeterminism by the direction that something is takes. Everything contains intent. 
Well, when you say predetermined, it's not externally predetermined in terms of a life, in terms of your life. It's not an external force that's predetermining those no, things. No, no, it's, it's within you. It's you are predetermining these things but, for yourself. But we have individual consciousness mm-hmm. and we also have collective consciousness. So collectives that share similar beliefs will have um, collectively an intent that's quite powerful. So if, if, we, if we have collective fears, they become powerful intents that can create war that can create conflict or famine or um, poverty. or If we understood this and we dealt with those collective fears by dealing with the individual fears in people, then all these things are unlikely to be part of our reality mm. because they would not need to be there. It, they have no role. In terms, of, in terms of mass events, you certainly, um, again, people would say that those being involved in mass events, whether it be some sort of natural disaster or a plane crash or one of those sort of major world events, um, being directly involved in that, <clears throat> people would find it difficult to say that that was a, a subconscious choice that the person made. But you, then you also hear stories all the time of someone that said, oh, I was supposed to get on that plane, but um, hmm. I woke up in the morning and I felt a bit ill or I didn't feel like going on the plane or something came up and I decided to take a later flight. And So there is an element of that people do subconsciously at least make a choice to be involved in those events or not. Or not. Yeah. Or not. There is always a choice involved, even See, though it's not a conscious choice necessarily. See, when people um, do not participate, if I can call it that, in a disastrous event and therefore do not die, we can ask them questions and they can give us explanations. Mm-hmm. And those explanations tend to be superficial. Mm-hmm. They tend to be, oh, well, I thought I'd better not catch the flight or... You know, I thought I'd stay in bed for a while and I forgot what time it was and I fell asleep I forgot, again. I forgot to set my alarm clock. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever, you know. Um, but the people that died, we can't ask questions of them. No. And so we don't know at what point their consciousness was that caused them to be and participate um, in a disaster, mm. you know. Uh, it, it, it is... If you, can, if you can accept that consciousness always survives, that our consciousness survives our body. That it's indestructible. And that it's therefore indestructible and mm-hmm. will always exist. Then the whole idea that somebody leaves this planet through a disaster, if you like, leaves this reality, um, becomes less of an issue for the person themselves than what it becomes to the... Um, to the survivors that they leave behind. Yeah, and to the in, in, a, in a world event, to the world media and things like that. Yeah. Hmm. That's weird. Is that a really low cloud on the horizon there? Right the dis- it's like it's almost sitting on top of the sea. No, I think it's a boat. Is that a boat? It's a boat. God, my vision is shit. If that's a boat, that's massive. <laughs> oh, this moving, you're right. It's just, yeah, it's a bit obscure. Anyway, Rudy's just created his own experience here of a of a of a mirage on the horizon. Um, yeah, it shows you that illusions are easy to um, to accept. That you can experience things and believe they're real, while in fact your belief systems are creating them. Mm. And that that is probably the the hardest thing to accept is to. Um, to have an experience 
that feels bad creates negative emotions, negative feelings. And to realize that it is brought about by your own subconscious beliefs and that the reality of it is that those beliefs are not even real, even though they're fear-based and they give you real feelings. Mm. Because the feelings are real, but the reason for the feelings is not. Belief systems based on fear are not real. And that is probably the hardest thing for people to accept because it feels so real. And because we trust our senses in that regard too much and um, we uh, allow our emotions to control us so much, um, it is very easy then to go to a place where you become the victim. And the victim means basically you start blaming it or holding other forces responsible. Mm. And when you do then you're giving away your power. Well, that's the problem, isn't it, with predeterminism, is that you give your power away to universal forces or to to other people or, you know, whoever it is that's, that is supposedly predetermining what happens in your life. You, you give your power away to, well, let's use the word others, but it's universally others. You know, you're putting it out there and saying, well, whatever happens to me, I have no control over it. And I think a lot of people lose their direction and impetus in life when they get to that point. They, they, they say, well, I'm just going to wait for something fantastic to happen to me. I'm waiting for the universe to endow me with a great experience so that I can, I can be part of it. I'm waiting for great things to happen, and then they'd be yeah. waiting a long time. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset that is usually employed by powerless people. Powerless people, fearful people, um, helpless people um, tend to wait for a positive outcome rather than be actively creating it yes. and engaging it. Because engaging life and putting yourself out there with decisions and choices means taking risks. To a fearful mind, everything becomes a risk. Everything is failure, potentially. Everything is a potential for criticism and judgment. Everything is a potential for rejection, abandonment, for being wrong, for being a failure, for being the disappointment, for not getting what you want. So rather than chancing it, if you like, and taking the risk of experiencing that again, they avoid it and they don't do anything at all. So the life then happens to them. And I can very well understand that they then believe that outside forces control their life. What they do not see, that they're not proactive in living their life and overcoming the issues. Mm. And that is probably a process that not only just a lot of people engage into, but I think to some degree, just everybody in certain areas of our life, we, we, we have a tendency towards that. Yes. Towards waiting and, and, and being inactive out of the fear that something might go wrong if you act. Yeah. Or, you know, that you don't have any control over it, so you're not going to bother to act in... Uh, in a particular direction of your life. But as you said, there are particular times and particular aspects of your life when that, when that does happen and that creeps in. And I think the key to all this is not necessarily to say we're all perfect and we're going to avoid those situations, but to see them objectively rather than see them as part of you or to, to judge yourself by those things is to say um, my experiences that I'm having are something that I've created. They're as a result of my tools my belief systems and therefore they're 
they're possible for me to change. So if you're getting negative outcomes in your life, mm. you have the power to be able to change them. And that's really the key message in this. But see, this, this power you're talking about all depends on what you believe in the first instance. We always go back to belief systems. <laughs> do you understand? We have belief systems about our beliefs, if you like. <laughs> do, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like a dream within a dream. Yeah, okay. because if you can accept um, and believe that your consciousness will transcend your physical being always, regardless, right? Then what, we say, what is there to fear in this life? Absolutely nothing. Mm. You're just here for the experience and the growth and, and personal uh, expansion in that case. When in addition, you also believe that unconditional love, acceptance and trust will always, always help you survive emotionally, right? Again, it's another reason not to fear anything. Mm. And so... If you have those beliefs, then there's nothing to run away from. There's nothing to um, to be afraid of. There should be nothing that stops you from initiating a new action or choice. And I'm not talking about taking physical risks here. You know, uh, if you've never walked a high wire to say, you know what, doesn't matter whether I die or not, I'm going to walk this high wire. It's silly because you would be wasting your life because you will fall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you've yeah. never done it before. It's just impossible. So it's not it's not about physical things as much as it is about um, emotional, psychological choices that you make. Mm. And if you have the belief that you can change your belief system, and if you believe that you are the creator of your own life through your belief systems, consciously or subconsciously, then once you have those beliefs, then life becomes less fearful. Because when you have a negative experience, you just say to yourself, you know what, I wonder how I created that. Yes. I wonder how that became a part of my life. I wonder how I did that, what belief system supported that, what fears I hold that caused this to be a part of my life. When you start asking those questions, the answers will come. Mm. Because your mind is in a space where it's ready for those answers. And it's not excluding those answers because of fear. Because you don't want to be responsible. You don't want to be blamed. You don't want to feel like a victim. You don't want to be held accountable. And so you are not excluding those answers with that mindset. And so the answers will come. The thing is we haven't learned it. It's new for us. The, the, it, me the, the methods of, of this self. Not just the method, but it's a state of mind that yeah. I'm talking about. Mm. It's a state of being essentially, mm -hmm. right, where who you are is no longer defined by what you experience, that who you are is no longer defined by what you feel, that your inner identity is the preserve of your spiritual beingness, of your authentic self, of your talents and abilities, of your personal power and strengths, of your um, um, positive beliefs. Mm. It's fantastic stuff. I love hearing you talk passionately about the positive beliefs there. That's, that's fantastic stuff. Um, we're going to probably leave it there on that discussion, but I think there's probably a few topics there we'll take up uh, again at future stage and expand it a little bit. So thank you again, Rudy, for your time today. Absolutely my pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll see everybody again soon. Thank you.